that. Let's pray to that. All right, so hopefully everybody's week was fantastic. Yeah? Anyone's exceptionally fantastic? Anyone? No? You got to sleep till noon? That's just pretty intense. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. So just before we get started, just a couple things to mention here really quick. So um, this next weekend is our... The youth pastor is speaking to you. Thank you. Rudely interrupted, but I pretty much appreciate it. All right. So um, as far as this next weekend is concerned, so we have our missions conference Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So uh, I want to highly encourage you guys to, to be involved with that. So we're going to be doing all sorts of stuff. Some of you are already involved in some of the skits that we're doing, some of the music that we're doing. Uh, but it's really going to be a great weekend. And plus, it's going to be somewhat bittersweet because after that, Brandon's going to be going home. So we're going to be shedding some tears for sure. What? Yeah, you didn't know that? I thought you moved permanently. No, he, <laughs> he, he lives in Mexico. Yeah. She's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Jackie's coming? Yeah. Good. We've been pushing her. So for sure she's coming? Nice. All right. All right. Jackie just speaks no English, but she's going to learn. She does pretty good. She got better from last time? Yeah. Yeah, she did good. So that'll be fun. But do whatever you can to be here Friday night, um, Saturday uh, morning, and then Sunday morning, obviously. But then we're also having a Sunday evening service as well. So do what you can to be involved. And the reason why I'm asking you guys to do this is because um, really the future of our church and the things that we're going to be doing are going to be deeply tied into the missions conference and the things that we're going to be talking about uh, on those three days. And so you do not want to miss that at all. Um, even some of the things that we do within our youth ministry are going to be really directed by those things we're going to be doing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So uh, make sure that you're here and involved and, you know, we can try to sit together each, each session and it'll be really, really good. Plus, on top of that, we have the entire Brown clan and you are not going to want to miss all the Browns. I mean, it is just incredible. It's going to be, I, I have heard, and this is just rumor, but I have heard that when you get all the Browns under one roof, uh, the place could burn down. I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, I mean, we already saw sparks when we were there in Monterey when it was just Phil and Brian. I mean, and then you had Scott and everybody else. I mean, it's just all oh, it's going to be intense. So would you concur with that statement? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be a lot of fun. Very unpredictable. Uh, so unpredictable, we may not have them back again. So um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But make sure that you can. So if you've got something going on that you can move around in order to be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, especially Sunday evening, make it happen because it's going to be worth it. All right. So uh, any other announcements before we get started with anything? Yeah. I have a question about that. Thank okay. You. So if, if, we're in, if we do youth choir, is that not happening next week? No, it will not be happening next week. Yeah. Uh, people in the youth? People have to do youth choir. There are no Speak youth choir. Yes. Can I make another announcement? Go for it, Emily Boffman. Guys, youth choir. Come on. Fellowship, ministry. So much fun. Carson's going to oh, do it. Oh, you don't have anybody in it. I see what you're doing. We want everybody. Because <laughs> all the guys switch. Oh, yeah. I yeah. got some volunteers for you right here. Perfect. So everybody I can get there to right here. Uh, that means you. You're a, you're a strong alto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah, that's me. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Anything else? Okay. All right. Amazing. I will help. Okay, well, alright, let's get someone to pray and then we'll get into things this morning. Who would like to say a few things to the Lord that 
saved your soul. Gavin, go ahead. During the college, sir, thank you for staying. Thank you for being here at church, and then we can just have good fellowship and uh, meet new people. And uh, please help uh, the rest of the day to go well, and then uh, we can just take something from today, whether it's from uh, Stephen and or Tom's preaching today. And I uh, just pray that as this week goes on, that John will stay safe at school, and I uh, pray for the Bishop's Conference as well. And you can pray. Amen. All right. So we've been talking about the field. And um, before we get too far into it, come on, make sure it's working. Okay. Um, what do you remember from last week? What did we talk about? What are some of the things that stood out to you last Sunday? Uh, we're going to be finishing out this message today before heading into the conference. But what do you remember from last Sunday? What were some of the things that really stood out to you that we talked about within point number one and point number two? Maybe something you've never really thought about before that we discussed. And if it wasn't that memorable, shame on you. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, go ahead. I 100% use my study sheet to cheat. That's okay. I'll allow it. I will allow it. <laughs> in like John 4, how like all the disciples were like looking for a mission field, but they were missing like what was right in front of them and this huge opportunity. Yes. That was big for me because like going to school year, I'm like looking like, okay, what's going to be there? And I already have all these opportunities that I was completely ignoring. Absolutely. We get so focused on our circumstances. We look at the things that are around us, the people that are around us, the stuff that's going on, that we forget sometimes that we are there for a reason. And when you have a proper perspective and you're looking towards the Lord, like it says in Colossians 3 that we talked about, that you set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And you're looking at from God's priority and God's will, you'll start to see your circumstances and the people around you differently. And it's a game changer. The disciples in John chapter 4 were just in that town that the woman of the well came out from, and they completely missed it. They were so focused on getting food for Jesus that when they came back with the food, and they were shocked that he was talking with this woman, that Jesus says, I have meat to eat of that you know not of. And it's not that they didn't know about it, because of course they knew. They spent time with Jesus. They knew that he was preaching, and he was trying to reveal who God was, and he was evangelizing, and then they were being discipled, and all that stuff. But they just didn't understand it in that moment. And they didn't see that that was more important than the food that they were going to go get. And it's just like that in our lives. We get so wrapped up in the details of what's going on between homework, between sports, between commitments, between family, all the stuff that's happening in your life, that we forget to look at things from God's perspective. It's very important, it's very important. And I think that many of us have missed opportunities to minister to the Lord and to really minister to other people and to share the truth just because we've not had the proper perspective. We're too focused internally on our own lives, our own circumstances, and we're not looking at the hearts and the lives of other people. It's a mistake that we make daily, and I think that John 4 is huge for us on that one. So that's a good one. All right, what else from last week? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know that a lot of you do not like going to school. I get it. I didn't like it either. You know, there's a lot of aspects of school that I despised. Just like anytime you, like when you get older, it's not going to change with your job. I mean, jobs just stink. There's aspects of jobs that it's just work and you have to suck it up and just do it. But if you have a right perspective, one of the things that will keep you going is the fact that there are people in this place that God died for. And it will make you want to work harder. 
that'll make you carry yourself better as far as your attitude is concerned, even when you don't like certain things, because it's not, it's about the work, but it's not about the work. I mean, you should do the best job that you possibly can in anything that you do because it will give you greater opportunities to serve the Lord. That's really what you ought to do. And we just don't have that perspective a lot of times. We just don't. All right, what else from last week? Take one or two more things. Okay, maybe one more thing. <laughs> anybody? Anybody? As I sit my nectar of the gods. Come on, one more. Anything? You can use your study sheet. It's okay. You can be like Emily Owens and cheat. <laughs> hey, she admitted it though. All right, anything else? Going once. Okay. All right, okay, so let's review a little bit and then we'll jump into number three and number four. All right, so the defin definition of the field, the definition of the field, we talk about defining the field. Number one is the world, the world. And number two is individual hearts. And we talked about this out of Matthew 13, where Jesus uh, specifically defined in that parable where he says the field is the world. And I love that because anytime that you see a field in the scripture, and no matter what it is, it is always a great picture of the world and the ministry that God's wanting to accomplish. And so, of course, this is the kingdom of heaven, that physical, literal kingdom that Jesus will establish from the throne in Jerusalem one day in the future, through which he is going to be fruitful and multiply in the literal field of the world. And then we talked about John 4:35, and that's the woman at the well and these Samaritans, where he told his disciples, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields, plural. And he was talking about the individual hearts of the people that were coming out of the town whom he wanted to manifest himself and God the Father to those people. And so uh, the disciples obviously did not have that concept. And so these are the, the two things when you talk about the field in the world, it's talking about the world uh, from God's perspective, the world, and it's talking about individual hearts of people. And so the uh, specifically, the last sentence of that paragraph, I just want to touch on this again. It says specifically working in the fields of the collective hearts that we come in contact with daily as we progress from season to season in life. So this is what we're talking about. When we talk about your field, when we talk about your mission field, the field that God has given you, it is all the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Wherever you're at, whether it's school, whether it's work, whether it's stuff in your own family, it's the individual hearts of the people that are around you. And if you know the Lord and you are born again, it is part of your responsibility to minister to those people. And oftentimes we don't because there's sin in our life. We feel ill-equipped. We've never been taught how to do certain things. And that's why we do this thing called discipleship at our church. And it is to teach you how to be a better, more effective minister. And, and I would even challenge you, if you have gone through discipleship or portions of discipleship and you don't feel like you're being equipped properly, then you need to speak up and say something about it. Because you should feel at the end of discipleship and even partway through that you are a more effective minister for the Lord and a better ambassador. So if you don't feel that way, something did not happen correctly. And we need to make sure that we get that fixed. So don't be afraid to speak up about it. And then we talked about out of 1 Corinthians 3. Go ahead and turn there real quick. Go to 1 Corinthians 3. And we talked about who are the laborers, the laborers. And in 1 Corinthians 3, there's a great 
picture here that Paul writes about himself and Apollos and God as he's writing to the people of Corinth. And I love how he lays this out because it really gives you a good insight into how this is supposed to work. And he says in verse 5, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers, so they're ministers, by whom you believed even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So here you have ministers. That's Apollos and Paul. And part of their responsibility as ministers is to follow 2 Timothy 2.2, and that is to train up future laborers. That's what he, they're supposed to do. So Paul knows how to plant, Apollos knows how to water, and they both know how to do that because he says they both are one. So that means Apollos also knows how to plant, and Paul knows how to water as well. But as you see here in verse 8, this is interesting. We didn't talk about this last week. It says, Now, the, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And then look at this next part. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So as a minister, part of your responsibility is to work together with God. And sometimes you're going to be doing planting. And sometimes you're going to be doing watering. So remind me and remind everybody else, what is that? What is planting? What's that? Telling them what? Yeah, telling them about the truths of the Bible, about the gospel, witnessing to people. If you have an opportunity to get the Word of God out there, the Bible is called the seed, and you get the Word out, get, out there, especially the gospel, and you get it planted in people's lives. That's planting. What is watering? What? Discipleship. Yeah, it could be a form of discipleship. What else? That's a, that's a form of watering. Yeah. Fellowship. Fellowship, yep. Anything where you're ministering what? What is water in the Bible? Ephesians 5. Anyone know that one? Washing of the water by the Word. So the Word of God is likened unto water. So as you're fellowshipping, you can hang out and have a good time, but if you don't fellowship and encourage someone in the truths of God's Word, right? Is it truly fellowship? I mean, it might be friendship, but is it fellowship? No, it's really not. So anytime you have the chance to minister spiritually to another person that's like watering and I'm telling you some great opportunities you have are just praying for people or going up to someone and saying hey I know what's going on in your life I'm praying for you or hey can I pray with you about this or yeah, I've been thinking about you how are you doing and just talking to people encouraging them taking things from the scriptures and like say hey you know what that reminds me I was reading in my Bible the other day and God really convicted me about this and so maybe I can just share it with you anything where you're encouraging someone in spiritual matters according to the Bible that's like watering. So uh, planting, you're getting that seed out there. It's getting the actual words of God, especially someone who's lost. You're planting it in their life. So that way God can do something with it. And then watering is encouraging it, creating that environment where that stuff can grow. And so that's why it's important for us to be in the scriptures constantly. Because if you're not in the scriptures, then you're not being watered yourself. And then things can't really grow properly. All right. 
so we are laborers together with God, verse 9 says, and that's important. So you have God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost. It's his field. It's what he wants to, to unfold in the field of the world, obviously, and he's going to take care of that in the future, but also the fields of the individual hearts of people. And we took a look last week about Israel and how it was likened to a vineyard, and we won't have time to go into that again. Um, but then you also have the disciples of Jesus Christ, the sons of God, and that's anyone who is born again, and that is part of our responsibility to be those laborers together with God. Okay, so now we understand the concept. All right, so now you, I think you can clearly understand that if you were to walk out of this room today, that you know for sure that it is your responsibility, if you are saved today, if you are born again, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, your responsibility is to plant when you have the opportunity to plant and to water when you have the opportunity to water. And that goes for all the hearts of the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. All right, good? Okay, we're all on the same page with that. Not if you're with me. Gracias. All right, there's a few of you that are like, what, what, what? <laughs> yeah. All right. So with that in mind, let's move into our responsibility because now I want to get into more of the practical stuff. If we know that to be true, how do we actually live this out? What does that look like? And how can we accomplish this? So our responsibility. All right. So first of all, first of all, learn how to labor. Learn how to labor. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2.2. And give me a reader for the Philippians verses. Philippians 3, 17. Got that one. And Philippians 4, uh, what's the other one? 4, 9. Jared, you can take that one. And then Dustin, you can read 2 Timothy 2, 2. All right, so learn how to labor. If you don't know how to labor, if you don't know how to plant the seed of the Word of God, learn how to do it. If you don't know how to water, learn how to do it. Well, how do you learn how to do it? I think it's an important question. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Dustin, go ahead when you're there. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Okay, so answer that for me. According to that verse, how does that apply to this learning how to labor? Tell me. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Sam. In order to be able to labor, you actually have to know God's word. So okay. They can go and labor and teach others also. True. Yes. What else? Yeah. If you hear how someone else does something and it's like biblically correct, then you can try doing that as well. Yeah. Okay. Good. And well, that'll get into more of the Philippians verses. How about this one first? If you know how to labor, you should be teaching other people how to do it. Right? If you know how to share the gospel share the truth of God's Word, and minister properly to the people around you, you have a responsibility to teach other people. That's huge. Because you can't always expect people to come up to you and say, hey, will you teach me how to... That doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. It is your responsibility. Well, no one asked me to teach him. All right, well, you're a moron. So you can't do that. If you know how to labor, then it is your responsibility by God to go and teach somebody else. That's why I love this verse. And so if you know how to do it, get out there and do it. Listen to Philippians 3.17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. Okay. So how would you learn how to, how to labor? If you really want to get out there and be faithful, how would you learn, according to that verse? After somebody who already knows how. Yes. Observe. Find someone that knows how to labor and you follow them. And then it says in that verse, what else? And mark them also, they'll walk the same way because they are 
What's the word? In samples. In sample. What is an in sample? It's kind of different from an example. Example is different. It's, example and in sample are used in the Bible. What's an in sample? He's asking questions this morning. I am uncomfortable. <laughs> that's the internal dialogue that's going on right now. All right, what is it? What is an ensample? You guys have answered enough already. Let's get somebody else. What is an ensample? Yeah. Uh, someone that doesn't know how to do something. No, not that one. That's that's kind of the, you're you're learning from an ensample. But if someone is an ensample to you, what does that mean? What is that? Ensample. What is a sample? What's that? A sample? Yeah. What is a sample? Yeah, go ahead. Something that's supposed to Yes, absolutely. An in, E-N, the prefix. It's inside. Like, okay. All right. So, yeah. So when you see someone, you look at them and you do the exact same thing that they're doing. But it's more from the inside. The example is the outward actions that you're following. So the in-sample is that inside of them. So what is inside of them that drives them? And I need to do the exact same things that they're doing. So, I mean, I love going to Sam's Club and places like that where they give you samples. I mean, that's like the best. I remember when I was a kid, I would just walk around the store. <laughs> that would be lunch. I would just be <laughs> taking all that stuff. It's the exact same. They're doing it because they want to get you to buy the product. And it's the same sort of thing. Mark people that you look at them and say, I know they walk with God. They're very fruitful in their walk. They have a lot of wisdom. And I need to go and I need to follow in their footsteps internally. I need to do the things they're doing because I want to have that whole package because they're glorifying God. And I want to be able to glorify God Myself. Alright, so that's Philippians 3. Philippians 4 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Okay, so Paul was an example, and he says, The things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Okay, so you can't ever learn how to labor unless you observe, take it in, you get all the information, you learn how to do it, and then you have to go and do it. You have to go do it. If you never get to the point where you get out there and do it, if you never get to the point where you have enough courage and boldness to open up your mouth on anything, and you can start anywhere. I'm not saying you have to get out there and like take some sort of a plastic crate at your school, stand in the corner of, of a hallway while everyone's out there during, you know, between bells and be like, God's coming back, you're all going to hell. Like I'm not, like, that's not what we're talking about. I mean, if you go that way, sure, have fun. You're gonna, you're gonna learn a lot of stuff. All right, so, but it could be very simple. Like, okay, you know that a friend of yours is going through something horrific and very difficult. It could be the death of a family member. It could be that their parents are getting a divorce. It could be the fact that they find out that their, their mother has, has cancer, that their father lost their job. Whatever it is, you're paying attention to people's lives and you just go up to them and say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Or, hey, I know what's going on. And I'm just, just pull them inside one-on-one. -on -one. Or you see someone who's a bit of an outcast where no one else wants to spend time with them. Go and sit with them. Go and spend time with them. I mean, you need to be keeping your eyes open, like it says in John 4 with the disciples. Lift up your eyes and look upon the fields, for they are white unto harvest. So you have to get out there and actually start doing it. If you never start doing it, you'll never know how to do it. You may know, but you won't know. You know what I mean? 
You may understand the concept, but you'll have no experience. And until you actually have some experience, you'll never know anything. You just won't. So it's very important. So you have to learn how to labor. Secondly, cultivate a heart for the mission and get to work. Cultivate a heart for the mission and get to work. Um, let's go to, um, uh, we're already, you guys, should, most of you are in Philippians. Go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, and verse 20. Philippians 2 and verse 20. Cultivate a heart for the mission and get to work. Now, Paul's writing this book, and he's talking about his disciple, Timothy. Now, Timothy was a guy who he followed the example and the example of Paul, and he did those things, the things that God did in Paul and the things that Paul taught Timothy. Timothy was faithful, and he did those things. And as a result, look what Paul says of Timothy. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Timothy had an, an incredible testimony, and it's why God opened up the door for him to become a pastor of the church at Ephesus. And it wasn't because he was like special or he had great talents or skills. He was faithful. Whatever he was taught, he did it. No matter how big or no matter how small. I think a lot of people make this very complicated. And it's not complicated. Once you're taught how to do something, do it. If you know you should be doing something, do it. Then as you do it and keep doing it, God will teach you more. He'll give you more. And you'll keep growing and maturing. And He'll open up incredible doors of opportunity. It's not like... I hate the whole concept of... Of in our world today, especially within the last like 50 years, the whole celebrity pastor stuff. Like, it's garbage. It's garbage. I mean, just because someone may be able to articulate well, just because they might be in the right place at the right time or whatever, they're, they're naturally gifted or they're, or they're talented in this or that or the other, then they're exalted to be this, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. No, no. The people that are amazing are the people that are actually doing what God told them to do, period. Those are the people that God looks at and says, yes, I am pleased with that person. And just because they're successful in the world's perspective within Christian circles doesn't mean jack squat. It doesn't. And so if you are willing just to do what God has taught you to do, man, God is going to look at you and he's going to entrust more with you. And you're going to be able to do some amazing things for the Lord. So start cultivating a heart for the mission and get to work. And the only way you can truly cultivate a heart for the mission is if you get to work and you actually start doing the things that you know to do. Very important. All right, this third point. This one's very important too, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. And it's kind of another part of the living it out that we're going to talk about at the end. But discern where God is working and join Him there. All right, this one's a big one. So if you haven't been paying attention so far, um, tune in and make sure you get this one. Discern where God is working and join Him there. I, I have a theory, and that theory is that most people start doing the work and they stop because they don't do this part properly. They're not discerning where God is working and they're not joining Him there. They want to do something for the Lord. They want to get out there and do it, but God is not working in that area at that time. And so as a result, they get crushed and defeated and they're like, what's the point? Because I, I'm frustrated. It's not working. God told me to do this and I went and I opened my mouth and I shared the gospel and I got shut down and now everyone else is going to treat me the same. I'm done. I'm out. They get one bad experience, two bad experiences, and they say, I am out. And I'm telling you, it's because you have not learned how to discern where God is working. 
This is very important. Very important. Genesis 1-2 talks about ever since the very beginning, the Spirit of God has been moving and the Spirit has been restoring. So whenever you study that out, it's really cool just the fact that when you have the six days of creation, the Spirit of God is involved with the restoration of that which was absolutely destroyed by sin and iniquity. And you have John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we believe that, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that God is always working. He is a laborer, and He's called us to be co-laborers together with Him. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. You are called a co-laborer together with God. Not a solo laborer, co-laborer, which means you must work with God where God is working. You can't go out and venture out on your own. So before we get into the next part that I want to get into, how can you tell where God is working? What are some ways? Just think about it. Let's use some logic a little bit. What are some ways that you can discern or tell where God is working? Okay. Yeah, because you're around them more often. Yeah. Makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. And just talking to people and seeing where their hearts are at. Yeah, just having conversations and having some friendships and having some spiritual conversations and finding out what's going on in their life. If it's fruitful. Mm-hmm. So if you start having a conversation and they're like, hey, I want to hear more, or hey, your church sounds cool, I want to come and visit. Awesome. Hey, God's working there. How else? Emily. I don't know why, but a lot of times, like, I'll put people in my life where, like, they have something in common with me, or, like, they've gone through a certain experience, and they're, like, closed off to the same things I've been. Mm-hmm. Typically, I feel like that's God saying, like, okay, you, you know, you're equipped to, like, handle this. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. Like, that to me is, like, a sign. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because it, it's things that naturally connect you with that other person. You see that they've, they've struggled with something similar that you are, have gone through or are currently going through, and it can even open up some of those doors. And, but even sometimes in those scenarios, sometimes those doors are shut. But, so you still have to remember that. Okay, I'll give you a really, like, two really easy ones. All right? Number one, talk to God. What? I know, right? <laughs> We're called co-laborers together with God. And so if you really want to be a laborer, talk to God and say, God, show me where you're working. I'm around these people on a daily basis. Show me where you're working. Show me who I should be talking to and maybe open up a door of conversation. If you're consistently doing that, God will give you some great opportunities. Here's a second one because we know that God works through prayer, through talking to Him. God works through His Word, right? So as you spend time with God and His Word, He will start to open up understandings in your own heart and mind about people and circumstances and situations. Third one, your church. Your church. If we have a youth ministry or a church event that's already set up and ready to go, man, that is a great opportunity where God is working. Mission trip. I mean, I have not been on a mission trip where God did not work. I mean, I haven't. I've not been on a mission trip yet where God did not work. And it's because He works through His local church. So you have to remember that. He works through the Spirit of God, which wrote the Bible, and through which you also pray to God as well. He works through His Word. He works through your church. So think about those things. Those are three things right out of the gate that you know that God's going to be doing something there, which is why you should be involved as much as possible. So our missions conference, huge. God is going to work at our missions conference. Why wouldn't He? 
Why wouldn't he? We're coming together around having a heart for the mission. We have uh, missionaries that we love that are coming in, that we are like-minded with, that we do the work with, even though we're, we're separated by distance. And we're, we're trying to, to move in our church as far as, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Make it clear. Of course God's going to do something this weekend. Of course he is. So we need to be involved as much as possible. And then start paying attention. And then those conversations, like the people that you're around at school, within your classes, that you work with. I mean, it's not a coincidence that you work with the people that you work with at your work. I mean, it's just not, right? You're around them all the time. And when you have downtime at work, what do you do? Oh, talk. <laughs> yes, you talk and converse. You share your life. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, nothing. Okay, you just totally <laughs> missed out on an opportunity. I'm telling you, it's right in front of your face. So learn how to discern where God is working and learn how to discern where God is not working. Because sometimes God is not working and it's not because God doesn't want to work. Because he wants to work. He absolutely wants to work. What is the one thing that stops God from working? It's in the Gospels. I don't have the reference for it, but we've done a study on it before. The hearts of men because they refuse to believe. It's the heart of unbelief. When you study out the Gospels, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, and it's also in uh, Hebrews it talks about, where Jesus could not do many mighty works there in that city because of their unbelief. He could not work. Now, let me put this to you in perspective. What could Jesus do? I mean, what did he do? Raised people and himself from the dead. Yeah, raised people from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. Genesis chapter 1, what did Jesus do? Because we know according to Colossians that he is the creator. So what did Jesus do? Create. Created everything. He breathed stars into existence out of nothing. So he can do pretty much like anything, right? Except for one thing. Make people believe. He can. Have you ever heard that question? Is God so powerful that... You know, he could make a rock so big that he couldn't move. Have you heard that one? I've heard people say that one, isn't it? Have you heard that? Well, if you haven't, you just did. There's people that have that argument. Can God create a rock so big that he can't move it? And I say, absolutely. He already has. It's you, your heart. It is. Because he cannot, he cannot move your heart. He can't. If you refuse to believe God, if you refuse to be sensitive to the leading of God's spirit, there is nothing God can do about it. He is the almighty, infinite, all-powerful God who can do anything but that. That's the only thing he can't do. And so when you look around at the people around you, if there's someone who refuses and refuses and refuses, you still love them and you still care about them and you still pray about them, but they are not allowing God to work there. They're just not. It's not possible. And so you have to learn how to move on to other people that God is working in and start working and then always keeping an eye out for that other individual because you never want to just write them off. That's ridiculous. God never does that. Remember, he died for every person. But you need to remember that. That will help you tremendously. Let's look at one example of this. Go to Acts chapter 16. This is really cool. Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Alright, take a look at verse um, 6. Okay, so Paul is in the middle of his missionary journey. 
and he has a heart to go to a certain place. And remember, what Paul was doing is he was literally going into a city and he was preaching the gospel. So he would go into a Jewish synagogue, he'd open up the scriptures, and he'd start preaching Jesus Christ from the Old Testament to share with them the Messiah has come. And not only did he come, but he died for your sins. And if you're willing to trust and believe him as your Savior, then you can be born again. And he would start preaching the gospel and he'd do all that stuff. So in 16, verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and that's where we have the book of Galatians, by the way, where he pointed the church there, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. What? So God stopped them from going into Asia. That doesn't make any sense because didn't, didn't God die for the whole world? Like, didn't God die for every man and woman? Why would he stop Paul from going into Asia? That doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. From our human understanding, it doesn't make any sense. It's the same frustration that we have where you're sharing the gospel with somebody and it's just not clicking with them. You see like this blank look on their face. That's happened to me before. One of my really good friends growing up, I remember being uh, over at his house and we were doing some guitar stuff together and I shared the gospel with him. And I'm like, listen, if you don't, if you don't believe this, I mean, you're going to go to hell for all eternity. And I care about you. And, and I don't want that to happen to you. And do you understand how much God loves? I mean, I was laying it out. I mean, laying it out. And he looked at me and he goes, Stephen, I'm fine. And I'm like, no, you're not. I literally said that to him. I had tears in my eyes while I'm sharing the gospel with him. Just, I mean, it was just like a wall. It was so frustrating to me. And I didn't understand it. And so from our perspective, we want to have a heart for everyone, for sure. But there are times where God says, no, it is not time for you to go there. It's not time for you to go into Asia. It's just not. Now look at verse 7. Now after they were gone, or after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So the Spirit again said, no, I don't want you to go in that direction. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And so then they started heading that direction. So the Spirit of God literally stopped them from going into these two places to redirect them to go somewhere else. And Paul was smart enough to say, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. Now, jump over to Acts 19. So, a few chapters later, they're still doing the work and they're still doing their own thing. And then over in 19, verse 8. So, he had already gone through uh, Galatia, Phrygia. He'd all done all that. He'd actually been going back through. Now, he came to Ephesus, and now he's over in Ephesus. And in verse 8, it says, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, and then look at this, so that all they which dwelt in where? Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. See, they were forbidden to go to Asia at one point in time. Now they're in Ephesus, and through the ministry in Ephesus, everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord. That is incredible. So what you can learn from this is that there are times where God says no, and he shuts certain things down. And as long as you're faithful and you keep doing the things that he tells you to do, God will get to Asia when it's time for him to get to Asia. 
God will get to that friend, that family member, when it's time for God to get there. Just be faithful. Because through your continued obedience, as you hit here, 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 and here, He will use all those things in order to get to the place that you wanted to go to originally. This is very important. And the reason why it works this way is because people's hardened hearts, first of all, and that God is working with very limited resources. He is a limitless God using us to be co-laborers, and He knows that we are not limitless. We are limited. And so He has to work out a strategy among us to get us where He wants us to go. But we have to be obedient with where, where He has us. You can't let failures, mistakes, shut doors, frustrations stop you from being faithful. It might redirect your course a little bit, but you just be faithful, and God will get you to where He wants you to go to accomplish His mission. This is very important. Because I know this was frustrating to Paul. He wanted to get into Asia, but through his continued obedience, he ended up getting to Asia, but not him directly through the people that he ended up training. Very important. And if you missed all that, man, you missed out on a huge nugget of gold right there. So you have to discern where God is working and join him there. All right? Okay, and we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, the uh, fourth check mark here. Teach others how to labor. We've already touched on this a little bit, so we're going to keep moving on. If you have learned how to labor, you have a heart for the work, and you are getting experience by joining God where God is working, and you work, now you have the ability to teach others to labor. And this is very simple. It's very simple. Like anything that you've been taught how to do, you can turn around and teach somebody else, especially once you gain some experience under your belt. Even if it's something that you've been super insecure about, you're able to do it if you know a little bit about it. And that's why I love having you guys disciple other junior hires. And as you get more experience, if you're still in the senior high and you disciple other senior hires, that's a, that, is, that is big. That is a big deal. And then lastly, you need to pray for future laborers. Pray for future laborers. And this is something that we as, as youth leaders and as, as among the other pastors that we are constantly having in mind that we need to be praying for future laborers. We have to. We have to always keep that in mind. If we miss that, then we're going to be missing out on our whole strategy of trying to reach the whole world. We should be always praying for future laborers. And Luke 10 verse 2 talks about that. That we're praying unto the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into the harvest. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Point number four. All right, so living it out. So that's our responsibility. Learn how to labor, cultivate a heart for the mission, discern where God's working, and join Him there, teach others to labor, and pray for future laborers. That's big, but very important. So don't let that stuff go. All right, so living it out. How can we do this? How can we fulfill our responsibilities? All right, first of all, we're going to go down the left column and then hit the right column. All right, so first of all, deal with sin in your life. You have got to deal with sin in your life. You have to. You've got to. I mean, and this is not something that you can do alone, by the way. There are some sins that you can deal with alone, for sure, for sure. There are some things that you know that are very clear that are holding you back in your Christian walk, and you can deal with those things between you and God. But if you really want to deal with sin in your life, you have got to get some help. You have to. You've got to. This is why discipleship, again, is so critical. Because you can have someone else in your life to help you and to hold you accountable on certain things that you just keep tripping up over. And you have to be willing to deal with it thoroughly. Thoroughly. You've got to be able to deal with it thoroughly all the way through. You know, I hate it when I go places and I just step in dog crap. I just hate it. It's like the worst, right? <laughs> and if I don't take that shoe 
And I'm telling you, it's much easier to deal with it when it's fresh. Am I right? Okay. All right. So if I take my shoe and then I rinse that thing off and then I scrub it with soap and water to the point where it's clean, now I feel like, okay, I can wear my shoes on in my house. All right. But if I don't, then it's going to be a giant mess everywhere. And if you don't deal with it right away, it's going to get old and crusty and it's going to get baked into your shoe to the point where you just want to throw that sucker out. Okay. It's the exact same thing with sin. No one likes crap. If you like crap, you've got problems, but no one likes it. And if you deal with it while it's fresh, it is so much easier to get rid of. It is so much easier. But if you let that sucker go, it's going to harden and it's going to be so much more difficult to get it out. It's so much more difficult. If you really want to be faithful, you have to be willing to deal with sin. Second point, be discipled. Be discipled. A lot of people think that they don't need to be discipled. They are wrong. They're wrong. I'm sorry. I've, I have met people that think that, that you know, sometimes at our church that they hate the fact that we push discipleship so much. I'm sorry. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's the biblical pattern. You're a disciple first, and then you become a Christian. And I'm not talking about salvation. <laughs> the word Christian means little Christ, which means you look like Christ. You sound like Christ. You do the things that Christ did. That cannot happen unless you are discipled. So you might be a believer. Yeah. And you might be born again, but until you are discipled, you are not a Christian. That is the biblical pattern. And I'm not talking about salvation, by the way. All right. And a part of discipleship, the next point, get properly equipped to do the work. There are many people that are discipled that are not properly equipped. And that's a shame because when you're discipled, you should be properly equipped. And so you need to be properly equipped. You need to know how to do the work. You need to know how to share the gospel, how to minister, and to do it effectively. And the next point, pursue biblical relationships and accountability. I've already mentioned this a little bit, but pursue biblical relationships and accountability. That means with your friends. And I'm not saying don't be friends with people that are lost. That's ridiculous because how else are you going to have a ministry? You've got to have a ministry. I'm talking about your closest friends or people that really want to walk with God. My testimony after I left my dad's church was that we landed in another church for a period of time, and it was a good place for me to be for just a small, you know, a sliver of my life, uh, and it was okay. But I got to the point where the guys that I was hanging out with, they really weren't interested in walking with the Lord. They really were not interested in growing, and I'm like, all right, I'm out. I can't do this. I talked with them, I talked with my leaders, and I tried to do everything that I could to try to encourage it to happen, and it didn't happen, so I knew it was time for me to leave and go to another church. And that's what I did. And that's how I found First Baptist in New Philly, which then God then redirected me up here to Jackson. And so it's very important that you find friends that really want to walk with God. If you want to be faithful, you need people around you. You should not be dating someone just because they look good or they're funny or they have a nice personality. You should be dating someone because they make you more effective in the ministry. Amen. Period. <laughs> Why? You need that one? I just want them to hear it. That you shouldn't be dating someone unless they make you more effective in the ministry? Sucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, 2021. Okay, got it. All right. Biblical. That's why I have yeah. biblical relationships. And Okay, all right. But th that's the whole point is that you want to marry someone who makes you better. You, you should. You should not be marrying someone or being involved with someone or dating someone that doesn't make you better. 
It's, it's, and I'm talking spiritually because spiritual growth is always beneficial to everything, everything. And so if that person in your life does not help you to grow spiritually, forget them, forget them. Move on to somebody else. You have to, or else you're not going to be faithful. And if you don't believe me, just try it out. All right, last point on the left side. Engage in the work as much as possible. Engage. Be engaged in the work as much as possible. When you have an opportunity to serve, serve. When you have an opportunity to be involved in an activity or a ministry, get involved and do it. Anytime we're doing something as a youth ministry, if you can, drop whatever else is going on and be here and go with, and go with us with all the stuff that we're doing. Same thing with our church. Engage in the work as much as possible. When God gives you an open door, to share the gospel with someone, to minister, to pray for them, you go and you do it. You won't regret it. Trust me. All right, right side. Gain ministry experience. Gain ministry experience, good and bad. So learn from other people and get experience from them. Get your own experience. But don't be afraid to get out there and do something and fail. Because through your failures, I'm telling you, through your failures in ministry, and especially ministry sort of things, you will learn 10 times more than when, when you've been successful. You will. You will learn a ton. So don't ever be afraid to fail. Get out there and do it. And this leads into our next point. Take risks for the Lord. Take risks for Him. He risked everything for you. And so you should be able to take a risk for Him. Whenever you're afraid or you're timid, just think about what Christ did for you. That helps me tremendously. That helps me so much. When I am afraid to open up my mouth, I remember that my Savior bled and died for me. And then it's like, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Yeah, I'll gladly open my mouth, knowing what He did for me. And then you get to the point where you actually want to open up your mouth. When you fail, because you will fail, next point, when you fail, get up and get back at it. When you fail, get back up and get back at it. Don't let it be the reason why you quit. Get wisdom, discretion, and discernment. The only way you can truly get wisdom, discretion, and discernment is through experience. By applying God's Word to your life. That's the only way it's going to happen. It's the only thing that's going to happen. You've got to be able to get some experience under your belt. You've got to be doing the work in order to get those three things. And again... And we're going to end on this just because I think it's so important. Pay attention to where God is working and join Him. Pay attention to where God is working and join Him. And let's take a look at these last three verses. Let's go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Pay attention to where God is working. That one? Yeah, pay attention to where God is working and join Him. Matthew 13. And then we'll be done after these three verses. Matthew 13. Yeah, this is that reference I was mentioning earlier. Matthew 13, verse 58. And he did not many mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. He didn't do many mighty works. He wanted to do mighty works there, but he couldn't because of their unbelief. Go over to Mark 6. Mark chapter 6. I think it's the parallel passage to this one. Mark 6 in verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. 
and he went round about the villages teaching. Now this was the town that he actually grew up in, but he marveled and he couldn't do many mighty works there because they weren't willing to believe that he was God the Father. And then go over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll end here, Hebrews 3. All right, the focus is verse 12, but we're going to read some other verses. All right, Hebrews 3. Now, he's talking about the nation of Israel here. And if you read through the Old Testament, take any amount of time to read through the Old Testament, you find that Israel was disobedient. They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They were hard-hearted. And it's because they were not willing to believe God. Take a look at verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear His voice, and that's important, if ye will hear His voice, Every time we open up the Bible, God is speaking. The issue is you. Every time. If you will hear His voice. It's the same thing with my kids. I mean, I even just had this over the last weekend. I said something, and my kids were like, Well, I didn't hear you say it. Okay, so does that mean I didn't say it? <laughs> no, I said it. So the issue is not with me, it's with you. I said it. I said it right to your face. And you are saying, oh, I didn't hear you. Okay, well, that's not my issue. That has now become your issue, and that's why you're in trouble. It's the same thing with God. If ye will hear his voice, verse 8, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. See, when you refuse to hear God's voice and you harden your heart, God is grieved. He's grieved. He doesn't want it to be that way. You cause him pain and frustration and just things that you should never want to cause God. And it's because of our stubbornness. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart. They're erring in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So when you allow sin to have its way in your heart, it hardens you, and then you cannot do what God has called you to do. And that's how it is with everybody else. And so when you're looking out at people around you, you need to pay attention where God is working. One verse that I love tremendously is uh, Hosea 10:12, And it talks about breaking up the fallow ground. Now, let me give you this one practical piece of advice and then we'll, we'll cap things off. All right. When someone has a hard heart, there is nothing you can do about it other than pray for them. You can pray for them. If you try to go and minister to them and you try to water, what's water going to do when you're on a piece of land that has not had water for a long period of time? What's it going to do? It's not going to go down. It's going to go away. It cannot get in. If you try to throw a seed, what's it going to do? Nothing. The sun's going to come up and it's going to burn it and it can't even grow. Nothing. What does God have to do to someone that's like that? Break them. Now, God is going to try to get their attention, and He's going to try to get them so that way they break up their fallow ground, because that's what Hosea actually says, Hosea 10, 12. says that you're supposed to break up your fallow ground. That is your responsibility. And so God's going to do something to get their attention. But after so many times of doing it, God's like, all right, fine. So you know what He does? He causes a catastrophic earthquake. He'll do something crazy that will break up that ground, because He wants to get it in there. 
And so here's a key for you. First of all, if, you're, if your heart is hardened, man, whoo, okay, it's going to get really bad for you. And some of you have already gone through stuff already, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't ever have a hard heart. Don't. Break up your fallow ground so God can have his way with you. It is so much better. It's so, it's so much better. Trust me. But God loves you so much, he will not leave you there. So if he has to break you, he will. So pay attention with the people around you because people that are super hard, something will unfold in their life. I don't know when. That's for you to just pay attention and look for. But something's going to happen. I've already mentioned a few. A friend going through a very difficult time. Maybe they get sick. Family member gets sick. Parents are going through a divorce. The cancer. Whatever. Whatever it is. God's going to do something that will cause their world to just go... And it will be broken up. That's the time for you to go minister. Pay attention. That's the time for you to go and to give them some love and some care and some truth of God's word. That's the time. We get so stinking wrapped up in our own life and our own cares that you don't look at the lives of other people around you when God is working. And when someone's life has been wrecked and they have been just completely turned upside down, that is the time for you to step in and to be a minister. And I'm telling you that it's going to be fruitful and it will never be in vain, ever. So make sure you're paying attention. So I hope this has helped you because I think this will help you have a better perspective of your field and how to be more effective. And if you do these things, I mean, seriously, we could outgrow this room in no time. In no time. Just because you are paying attention to where God is working. And that will be a great problem to have. We'll just break the window and everyone can sit on the air conditioners and back here. It would be great. Pastor Tom wouldn't mind at all. I know he wouldn't. That's a joke. He would mind tremendously. All right. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be done. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that you would help us to take these things and uh, apply them, run with them, and to be more effective, faithful ministers for you. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.